Welcome to Torah Imecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Orly Kanner, and it is my privilege to be learning Sefer Shmot with you. Our Parsha this week is Parshat Bo. I would like to begin with a quick overview of the Parsha. The last three of the ten plagues are visited upon Egypt in our Parsha. First, a swarm of locusts, Arbe, devours all the crops and greenery that remain from the previous plague of Barad. Following Makar Arbe, a thick, palpable darkness, Choshech, envelops the land. And finally, all the firstborn of Egypt, the Bechorot, are killed at the stroke of midnight of the 15th of the month of Nisan. God commands the first mitzvah to be given to the Jewish people of Israel, HaChodesh Hazel Lachem, to establish a calendar based on the monthly rebirth of the moon, beginning with the month of Nisan. B'nai Yisrael are also instructed to bring a carbon Pesach, a Passover offering, consisting of a lamb or kid goat. It is to be slaughtered and its blood sprinkled on the doorposts and lintel of every Jewish home so that God should pass over these homes when he comes to kill the Egyptian firstborn. The roasted meat of the offering is to be eaten that night together with matzah and bitter herbs, maror. The death of the firstborn finally breaks Paro's resistance, and he literally drives B'nai Yisrael from his land. So hastily do they depart that there is no time for their dough to rise. Before they go, they ask their Egyptian neighbors for gold, silver, and garments, fulfilling the promise made to Avraham that his descendants would leave Egypt with great wealth. The children of Israel are commanded to consecrate all firstborn and to observe the anniversary of the Exodus each year by removing all chametz from their possessions for seven days, eating matzah and telling the story of their redemption to their children. The questions and responses to three of the four children who we refer to at the Seder table in the Haggadah are foretold. B'nai Yisrael are also commanded to wear tefillin on the arm and head as a reminder of the exodus and their resultant commitment to God. Three times, twice in our Parsha, and once before in Parsha Shmot, mention is made of the Jewish people leaving Mitzrayim only after asking their Egyptian neighbors for their gold and silver. In Parshat Shmot, while still at the burning bush, in God's very first revelation to Moshe, where he presents the overview of the Exodus, outlining the essential steps of the redemption, Hashem tells Moshe in chapter 3, verse 22, Paragimel, Pasukaf Bet, Vishala Isha Mishchenta, Umegarat Beta, Klechesef, Uchlezahav, Usmalot, Visamtem al Benechem, Vaal Benotechem. Women will ask from their neighbors and from those that live in their homes utensils of silver and utensils of gold and garments, and they will place them on their sons and daughters. In our Parsha, where all the commands and instructions for the exodus from Egypt are given to Moshe to be commanded to B'nai Yisrael, Hashem again tells Moshe in chapter 11, verse 2, Perek Yud Aleph Pasuk Bet, Daber na ba'ozneha'am, vishalu ish me'etri ehu vi'isha me'etru'uta, klechesef uchlei zahav. Please, says Hashem, tell the people to ask each man from his friend and each woman from her friend utensils of gold and of silver. Noteworthy and strange is not just the repetition, but the omission of the clothing, the dresses. 
And then again, after Makat Bechorot, just when Paro calls Moshe and Aaron and demands that they leave Mitzrayim, banishing them from the land, the Torah again reports in chapter 12, Perek Yudbet Pasuk Lamed Hei, Uvnei Yisrael Asu Kidvar Moshe, Vayishalu Mimitzrayim, Klechesef, Uchle Zahav, Usmalot. The Jewish people acted according to Moshe's instructions and asked from their Egyptians utensils of silver, of gold, and garments. It is so striking and odd that God, who is so frugal with his words, often omitting so many important facts and details, necessitating elucidation and delineation from the Torah Shbalpeh, commentaries in Midrashim, would repeat a seemingly inconsequential aspect of the Exodus so many times. Not only does God deem it necessary to include B'nai Yisrael's leaving with Egyptian valuables and in his initial outline of the seminal stages of Geula at the Sneh, but we are told of God's command to Moshe and told again when the Jewish people actually carry out the command. Clearly, for some reason that I would like to explore in this Tavar Torah, the Jewish people leaving with the gold, silver, and garments of the Egyptians is central to their redemption. But why? What is so crucial and integral to Geula that requires their leaving with the wealth of the Egyptians? In expounding upon God's command to Moshe to ask for the gold and silver, Rashi points to the strange addition of the word na, please, that God interjects in his command. Please tell the Jewish people to ask for silver and gold. Please? No other commandment or command begins with a please, explains Rashi. God is kivyachal nervous that if B'nai Yisrael don't ask for the gold and silver, that Tzaddik Avraham will accuse him of fulfilling the harsh part of the Brit Ben Abitarim, that of 400 years of estrangement and slavery. But the rewards that the Jewish people will leave wealthy, that part Hashem was remiss in fulfilling. This Rashi seemingly further obfuscates an already difficult conundrum. Not only are we struggling to understand why B'nai Yisrael's leaving with gold and silver is so critical, so central to the redemption, but now we're also trying to parse out Rashi's understanding of God's beseeching the Jewish people to attain the gold and silver, lest he have to answer to Avraham? Why should God fret over what Avraham will say? Far more critically, shouldn't God fulfill his covenant simply because he made the promise and is therefore obligated to fulfill it, regardless of what Avraham will say? Clearly, it is not sufficient for the Jewish people to leave wealthy. Yes, the commentaries such as the Kliyakar and others reflect on the importance of reparations, pointing out the benefits of the Jewish people feeling that they have been somewhat vindicated by being compensated for their slave labor. The Chizkuni too explains that the money would be compensation for the homes, fields, and businesses that were stripped from them when they were forcibly enslaved. Reparations certainly go a long way in making slaves who labored feel better about their years of torture and forced slavery. But in reality, as history has shown, reparations are an external bomb. They do little or nothing to alter the internal state of mind, the slave mentality that remains long after the slave is freed. 
their abysmal lack of feelings of self-worth, as their sense of self had been denigrated, dehumanized, and destroyed through 210 years of torture, torment, and labor. Indeed, if reparations alone were the goal, God could have miraculously had the gold and silver appear in the laps of the Jewish people. Furthermore, the wealth obtained at Yamsuf could have been enough to achieve that goal of the Jewish people leaving Egypt wealthy, monetarily compensated for their years of slave labor. But let us return for one moment to Abraham. We know that Abraham argued fiercely with God to spare the evil citizens of Stom. Certainly one would assume that Abraham would have fought for his own children, argued with God to spare his own descendants from the slavery that he had decreed. Abraham could possibly have railed against having his children suffer through 400 years of slavery. Perhaps what prevented Abraham from contesting God's plan was his being assured that the Jewish people will leave intact as they were before, wealthy, not with riches, but with dignity and with their self-worth, their egos, their confidence, with their names restored, emotionally whole and psychologically healthy. How would this happen? This could not be given or gifted naturally or miraculously by God to the Jewish people. Attaining this internal wealth, this health, required a bold initiative, a courageous action on the part of each individual Jewish man and woman. The insistence of God, his pleading with B'nai Yisrael was to muster the courage, the dignity, the audacity, the strength, the gumption to walk over to their taskmasters, to the women who occupied their homes after they were evicted, the neighbors who had stolen and walked away with their housewares and utensils, to confront them face to face, defiantly, openly, and demand their goods back, and then take those garments and place them literally on their children. To themselves were the clothing of royalty, the clothing worn just yesterday by their taskmasters. Possibly, as Midrash Chemdet Hayamim suggests, these utensils and garments were actually given to the Egyptians by the Jewish women as bribes to silence their Egyptian neighbors from disclosing the whereabouts of their male babies. They were given to save their babies from being seized and thrown into the Nile. The restoration of these goods and wearing of these garments is more than just a symbolic restoration of their dignity. It is, in fact, the means by which they are able to restore their self-worth. This intrepid act of defiance, of boldness, of fortitude would serve to literally and figuratively transform and reform the Jewish people from those of a slave mentality to a people that are free, with free will, independent, masters of their own destiny. The Jewish people must achieve this personal redemption and only when the individual redemption is procured can there be national redemption. God knows, as he tells Moshe at the snare, that yes, in the end, the Jewish people will live, leave with not only their gold and silver, but with the clothing of the Egyptians as well. 
in his command to them, as noted earlier, God desists from asking B'nai Yisrael to demand the clothing off the backs of their Egyptian taskmasters, as perhaps such a request would have seemed impossible at that juncture for the beaten down Jewish people to be fearless enough to attempt. But after their audacious taking of the sheep, the gods of the Egyptians, tying those sheep to their bedposts, sacrificing them in front of them and seeing the calamitous effects of Makat Bechorot, do the Jewish people become emboldened, confident, and resolute enough to demand from their previous masters all that was once theirs, all that they know they deserve, all that they are entitled to, and all that God had prophesied to Moshe. The individual's ability to ask, to demand, in and of itself, signals they're having achieved God's objective, that of their personal psychological redemption. And so, in summary, Parshat Bo is a Parsha of She'elot, of questions. A Parsha where the Jewish people prior to their exodus are foretold of questions that will arise from their children, Ki Yishalcha Bincha, and responses, narratives, ve'amartem, that they must prepare to respond to their children while still in Egypt, and they carry those responses with them out of the sands of Egypt. But the first question that they must and do answer is the asking, the demanding, the wealth back from their taskmasters. And in so doing, they asked and answered the most essential question, are you, B'nai Yisrael, prepared to be free? Have you regained your shemot, your names? Have you the self-value and worth to be an Am Skula, in Am Hashem? Thank you so much for learning with me in the OU Women's Initiative. I look forward to learning with you again next week.